Well, hello and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be tuning in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and today we are going to look at Lesson 11 of our Passover Passion Series. Man, I hope you are enjoying these as much as I am. I am just learning so much. Some of this um, I already knew and, and God had shown me years ago, and so I'm incorporating some of that in for your purposes as well, as well as a refresher for me and for my own study and blessing. But some of this is brand new, and I've got one coming up that is going to, it just blew my mind. It is awesome. So I hope these are a blessing to you as well. But we're in our Passover Passion Series, Lesson 11. My title is Pouch. And we'll, I'll explain that to you in just a moment. In the last episode, in the last lesson, we looked at proposal. And we saw how the Jewish wedding custom included the element of the sealing of the marriage covenant when there was the proposal and the offer given of the bread and the wine, and the bride would then receive that, and that sealed the covenant, and they were now betrothed. They were now espoused. We looked at that. We understood that in the Passover, there are four cups, and Jesus partook of three. It was the third cup, the cup of redemption, that was the one that, that was made a part of this sealing of the covenant because it was the cup of the new covenant, he said, in my blood. So this was the cup that he was designating, that, that designated his redemption so that he could purchase and have this bride. And, and the price that was designated in the ketubah in our ketubah, the word of God is the price of his own blood that he willingly gave to purchase us. And we looked at that. We read in 1 Corinthians 6.20, 1 Peter 1.18-21, Revelation 5.9, and Hebrews 9.11 and 12. And we talked about how it was through his blood that he has purchased us. And this, this was the price that he was willing to pay. And a few hours later... At the cross, he, in fact, did, in fact, pay that price. We talked about how he reserved the fourth cup, and it is reserved for the time when we will see him again in his coming kingdom. In heaven, we will be able to drink that with him. And we looked at the promise of that from Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Today, I want to pick up a little bit and, and take us a little bit backwards to some of that that we covered in proposal, but just so that we have a deeper understanding of it and then carry it forward to help us understand a little bit more of what, what was next. So we saw that the covenant offer was in the bread and the wine or the fruit of the vine. So let's talk about that. Now, what was the bread that he used? The bread is significant. First of all, we know that it was unleavened bread or matzah because unleavened bread was demanded in the Torah. They had to cleanse out all leaven from their house, all yeast from their house. It was all a part of the whole Passover and unleavened bread celebration as defined in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. And the commandment then was given that these were to be kept as a perpetual ordinance. And so this is what they signify. 
and it signified the, um, the haste that they had to leave Egypt with. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. So God established that as the pattern. They're not supposed to have any leaven or yeast in their home. So this was definitely unleavened bread, but there's a little deeper understanding of that. This specific piece of bread that he offered them is of significance. And the reason I titled this pouch is because at a Passover Seder, they had a pouch. It was, it's called a matzah and it's a little pouch or bag. It's one pouch, one bag, and it has three compartments in it, one on top of the other. And what they will do is they will put a whole piece of matzah in the top compartment, in the middle compartment, and in the bottom compartment. And I've heard several explanations of to what the various Jewish interpretations of that is. I personally believe that it represents the triune God that we believe in and that we serve, and that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It represents Elohim, the united whole one God. The Lord, the Lord is one, Echad, and that word is, is a plurality in, a, in diversity, but yet a unity in that diversity and in that plurality. If you want to understand that further, you can look at my Run Kitty Run series where I did the names of God and I went into a lot of that in my Elohim study and that particular lesson. But it signifies a three-in-one compartment, a three-in-one unity. And I believe it signifies God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, some of the Jews have different beliefs about that, and most of them are not Messianic Jewish people. Uh, but I do believe that it's, it's very evident and obvious to see that connection. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit form the, the, the Godhead. They are the various roles of the Godhead. There's one God. We worship one God revealed in three persons. There is God the Father, the person of God the Father. We call that the first person of the Trinity. There is God the Son revealed in Jesus or Yeshua the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity. And there is God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And that is revealed in the third person of the Trinity. Now, so every Jew and every Jewish Passover will have a matzatash. It's a, a bag, a, a napkin basically that, that is one, but it has these three compartments. And each one of these compartments, a whole piece of matzah will be placed inside. And this is done early in the service. And then at a specific time in the Seder, at a specific time of the service, the leader or the host of the service will reach into the bag into the second mid, the middle compartment and he will pull out that whole piece of matzah he will break it in half he will put one half of it back in the matzah bag in the matzatash in the pouch 
in the second place where it came from, and then he will take the other piece, the half that was broken, he will wrap it in white linen, he will um, cover it, and then he will hide it away to be brought back at a later time. So then they will continue with the order of the service, and then at the appointed time after the meal, the leader will then bring back that they will find it. Usually it's a game for the children, and they will have the children go and hunt for the afikoman. It's called the afikoman, the part that is hidden. It, it, some believe it means the part that is to come, the part that is hidden, hidden away. But it is called the afikoman. And so they will send a child or whatever at a specific time in the service, and the child will go and hunt for it, and then there's a prize given to the child when, that, when they find it. So it's this afikoman that is then unwrapped and broken and given to the participants. This is the piece that Jesus broke and offered to them. It was this afikoman. Now, there's more to say about the afikoman, and its whole symbolism is absolutely wrapped up and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And that may be something that we look at in one of the coming lessons, as the Lord wills. But this is that middle piece of matzah that had been broken, tucked away for a while, now is back, and that is the piece that Jesus is breaking here. And I want to read again some of the um, accounts of when this happens. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. So this was after the, the time when the afikoman was brought back. He takes this afikoman, takes the bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and we know this is the cup after supper, the third cup of redemption. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that was the fourth cup he was reserving. He did not drink the fourth cup at this Passover. So let's look now at Mark chapter 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then we turn over to Luke's gospel, and we read Luke's account of this in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. In Luke 22, verse 19, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, which is the third cup, the cup of redemption, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And then he goes on, he talks about the betrayer and, and getting, gets into those things about Judas. But notice this. This is the bread and the cup that he's talking about. It's the afikomen that's found and brought back, and that is what is now being broken. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Now, it's not his real body. When we partake of communion, which is a representation and a remembrance of this event, it is not the true body and blood of Jesus Christ that we are eating and drinking. It is a remembrance of that. It's a memorial. That's what it's supposed to be. He said, do this as a memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul picks up on this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right, so Paul is picking up on this part of the last Passover Seder and telling us that this, in a sense, is, is pulled out of that last Passover Seder, so to speak, for it to be continued to be done by the church until he comes. Paul makes that very clear here. So we call that the sacrament of communion or Holy Communion, or the Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper. We call it different things, but it is the sacrament of remembering this bread and wine and the sacrifice that Jesus made through the giving of His body and His blood, which is what this sacrament represents. It's a remembrance to us of his offer of covenant marriage with us as his bride and our receiving that. So, you know, my thought is this. When you take of Holy Communion the next time, perhaps, perhaps you might even remember that this represented you joining in covenant and that God becomes not only your father, but but your groom, the Lord becomes your groom as well. So now you are remembering not just his body and blood that was broken for you, but you're also remembering the coming of the Lord again till he comes. You are remembering that, wait a minute, this was just the betrothal. Jesus betrothed me through the bread and the wine, but there's still a second part of the Jewish wedding to be fulfilled. And that is the actual wedding ceremony and the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. 
So it hints at the promise that is yet to come, not just the proposal and our acceptance of that and our union in a betrothed state espoused to Christ as his bride, but also the promise of his coming again. So both of those are symbolically represented in the taking of communion. I hope and pray that that becomes a blessing to you the next time that you pre you prepare and you participate in communion. So after the covenant and the bride price was paid in the Jewish wedding, which the bride price does get paid in our understanding here in our Passover Passion series, and we will talk about that later. But after the covenant is made and signed and sealed through the partaking of the bread and the wine, and the bride price has been paid, then shortly thereafter, the groom will leave. Now, he also, both the, the bride and the groom, undergo separate mikvahs, and that's just separate baptisms. It's an immersion that they do. And in doing that, they are consecrating themselves to each other as their only love. It became one of the elements that was fulfilled at Jesus' baptism. The baptism of Jesus fulfills several things. And I have taught another study on that, which I will be, Lord willing, putting up to my sights as soon as the Lord allows me the opportunity to do that. But it accomplished several things. One of those would have been and, and is representative of the fact that he, as our groom, was consecrating himself to us as his bride. And the bride underwent baptism or immersion as well in water, consecrating herself and separating herself as only to her husband. So that was one element of this baptism. But the groom would also give the bride many gifts. He would leave her, he would lavish her or give her what gifts he could do before he left and then he leaves. Now, I want us to look at John chapter 14 which is part of the teaching and the telling that Jesus does at this final Passover Seder that he holds with his disciples. John is the author that gives us several chapters full of what Jesus told his disciples at this Passover Seder. And part of that is in John chapter 14. And I want to read the first three verses. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms, chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
So the groom always in the Jewish wedding would leave. He would depart. And he departed for this reason. He had to go prepare the home for them. He had to go and build the home and make sure that it was ready for them. And the father of the groom would be the one that would decide when the house was ready. So it was a promise with his faithful 11 disciples that were left. Remember, by the time of John 14, Judas has already left. He's already left the room. He's gone to do his business, his evil deed. And so Jesus is here now with his 11 faithful disciples. And he is giving them the promise of the wedding and the marriage supper that are yet to come. He is telling them, I'm going to prepare the home for you because I'm the groom, in a sense. I mean, he didn't say that specifically here, but that is the pattern that is coming forth here. He is the groom, and the groom would leave to go and prepare the home. Jesus is telling them here, I'm going to prepare the home, but it's a promise of what is yet to come. So he is telling them here, I'm going to prepare the place for all for us, and I am going to come back and get you and take you to myself. Now you can see some evidence of this particular Jewish wedding pattern in Matthew chapter 25, for instance, and the parable of the ten virgins. That's one place. You also can see it in some other places in Scripture. But it's the promise of the wedding and the marriage supper that is yet to come when the groom would leave. But when the groom left, we have to remember, he had purchased his bride. He had valued her. He loved her. And he wanted to marry her and be with her. So it was a guarantee that he would come back. Here he is saying very clearly, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, without getting into a lot of end-time prophecy teaching right here, I have covered that in other places, in other teachings, and I do have some Revelation teachings up and so forth. But here, this is a picture, and Jesus is already promising a rapture for, for his people. Now, there's differing opinions on this concept called the rapture, and when I say that, some of you may or may not know what I'm talking about, and some say it's not in the Scripture. It is in the Scripture, it's just not used in that particular term, but the concept is there, and that, as I said, is another teaching. The point I want to make now, though, is that Jesus Christ, who spent his own blood to purchase his bride so that he could enjoy union with her and enjoy their covenant relationship forever. It's an everlasting covenant in this new covenant. If he paid the high price of his own blood, it is a guarantee he is coming back to get his bride. And I really want you to understand that and remember that we are living in the days when that is so much closer than it has ever been before. 
And, and you know, he said this 2,000 years ago. If he was dead serious about it then, how much more now, after 2,000 years, is it closer that he is coming for his bride? This is the promise, and it will happen. The question is, and the parable of the virgins really brings this out, is will we be ready for his return? I want to be ready. I plan to be ready for the Lord's return. I'm looking for him to come soon to take me to him. And I hope and pray that you are as well looking because Jesus is coming back to get his bride. When the groom would leave, the bride would wait. And again, this is part of what's taught in the parable of the ten virgins. The bride would wait. She never knew when the bridegroom was coming, but she only knew she had to be ready and she had to be prepared ahead of time. She had to be watching for him. She was always eager for him to come back. She had to remain prepared. She was told to remain pure. She was to be, even Paul, when we read those scriptures from Paul in the last lesson, Paul was talking about espousing us as a chaste bride for Christ. He was talking about how he wanted to present us as a pure, chaste virgin to the Lord, a chaste bride, one that is pure. First John, in chapter 3, he talks about, Behold what manner of love the Father's given to us, that we can be part of his family, children of God. And he goes on down in verse 3. He talks in verse 2 about the Lord coming back and us being like him and being with him. And then he says in verse 3 that he who has this hope in him purifies himself. So, in other words, we're to live in a state of expectancy and remaining pure and eager for his return, ready for his return. So the promise for us is that he is coming back and we are to live with that expectancy. It's an unknown time frame. The bride never knew when the groom was coming back, but she always had to be watching and waiting. So I hope that this has been a blessing to you as we've looked at this pouch and how that middle piece of matzah representing the broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood of the covenant that was represented in that fruit of the vine that they drank in the third cup of redemption, that he is coming back for his bride. He has purchased us. He now is preparing the place for us and he is coming soon to receive us. And as his bride, we need to be watching, waiting, expecting him to come back because he is coming to receive us to himself. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that you can join us for more episodes of our Passover Passion series. God bless you today in Jesus' name.